0: so we 've been going through uh, a, a series and um, through the wilderness is anybody is anybody done with the wilderness? anybody yeah, yeah, okay, I see those hands um, just really you know okay you know we 're good we 're good but um, i 'm going to give a definition a little bit, but we we are learning that God is working through us, even in the wilderness. And uh, as much as we might want to move on to the greener pastures, the time when God has us there is so valuable. And Travis is going to close out next week uh, on Easter with this series, but I want to recap really quick some of the things that, that we hit uh, in this series. And the first week was fasting, and that was, that was something that we go through. That was one of the disciplines that we encourage As you're going through the wilderness. And uh, so you can go back and listen to that as well. Then uh, some other things that we hit. um, One week we talked about learning in the wilderness. The fact that the wilderness is a learning experience for you. That it's not just an idle time for you to sit and suffer. It's that God has something that he wants to teach you. There's also challenges in the wilderness. Uh... And we talked about that. And then dependence, what we're dependent on when we're in the wilderness. And last week, Pastor Travis talked about doubt. And I know that a lot of people um, receive that message because it's something that we struggle with, even though it's not something necessarily that we always feel like we can express when we have doubts. And this week, and my goal this morning... With this message is to convince you that the wilderness can be a time of comfort. Yep. Comfort in the wilderness. All the other ones make sense. You know, you, you understand those things in the wilderness. You can understand the learning experience and the challenges and the need for dependence and doubt. But, will, but comfort, that's something else. And I love you guys. I love this family. But I feel like I always get stuck with the difficult messages <laughs> that are challenging. So, uh, so if you're going through the wilderness this morning and you don't feel comforted by the end of the message, I want you to be able to direct your complaints, and you can send those to Travis at SummitMain.org. The link is on the screen. So if you're walking away at the end this morning and you're just like, you know what, I don't feel comforted, that's uh, where you can voice that. Uh, this morning. Uh, but we're thankful for, for Pastor Travis, and he's spending some time with his family this weekend uh, before we ramp up for Easter. And um, he's a he- heading into sabbatical. So this is going to be a really uh, just hectic few weeks as he gets ready and wraps everything up. And so uh, he's taking some time with his family this morning. But uh, so, you know, comfort in the wilderness. Yes awesome. It's not the first thing that comes to mind when we think about being in the wilderness and when we're there. That is not the first feeling that we think about. Well, how comfortable this is. I feel so comforted by my lack of personal hygiene in the wilderness and nice food um, you know, I, I grew up hiking, and my dad would take us on these trips. And there was one time when we were hiking Mount Marcy, which is in New York. Uh, and we were going with one of his friends, uh, a guy named Jeff. And so we decided to take his decision, right? I was young at the time. His decision, he decided to take the short way down. You know what I mean by that, right? The shortcut on the way down. Um, Jeff needed knee surgery after that hike, and he still blames my dad to this day for, uh, giving him that, and then, uh, just, you know, I love my dad, but he, in college, used to lead hiking trips from Long Island up to the White Mountains, and so, you know, city folk, and he, one time, took a trip, and he brought some people up from college, and, uh, they were hiking up Mount Washington, and he loves to tell the story, um, Halfway up, and the guy looks at him and says, "Who put all these rocks here? Can somebody get rid of? You know, can somebody like move these out?" And uh, he he was actually up with his girlfriend at the time, and the relationship did not last that hike. Uh, this person with the rocks, and so um, you know, don't go hiking with my dad. That's the lesson with of that story, or just be prepared, you know, with a knee brace or something like that. But. Hiking and, and the wilderness and, and and suffering and and we we don't feel comfortable we don't feel comforted. Uh, I keep trying to get Brie to go camping with us and she's not. No, am I good? Okay, um, she was in the first service so she knows. But she has a standard, right? She has a level of comfort that she's used to, that she likes to experience. And I'm trying to get her to go camping. And so maybe like that, we could, we could make that work. You know, like she would go camping and that would fit her standard for comfort um, in camping. Maybe. But I think about that and I think about this idea. And I know that God wants to comfort us in the wilderness. I know it. Just maybe not in the way that we expect. And we're going to go through this this morning. But I, I want you to know, here, you know, from the start, God would like all of us to go through the wilderness. He wants us all to walk through a wilderness experience at some point. Because that's the way that God shapes us. And he works on us and through us and in us. In the wilderness. And we see somebody who went through a few wilderness experiences. It was none other than the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be looking at one of those experiences today in 2 Corinthians 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And while we're turning there, um, I want to give us a working definition of the wilderness. right? Because we see a lot of different examples of people in the wilderness in Scripture. And they always look different. A lot of times they, you know, what's what's wilderness for one person isn't wilderness for somebody else and, and they can look at the what somebody's going through and say I would love that. And the other person is suffering and yeah, not doing well. So so if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, the wilderness is a difficult underline that. Difficult season when God works in the life of those who are willing to remain until the work is done. I want to say that again. The wilderness is a difficult season when God works in the life of those who are willing to remain until the work is done. However long your wilderness is, is however long God wants you in that place so that he can work on you. A good a good image that I found is um, it's called sandbox and the the tech company Apple they have something called what the, what they call is the sandbox it's kind of their version of beta testing and if you don't know what that means it's this place where if you're if you're rolling out a product right if you're rolling out a new piece of software or a new interface or a new product through Apple they put it in the sandbox for a while and it's this place that's not open to the public, right? It's removed, but it's a place where you work through whatever it is that you put in there. You work out all the kinks, all the bugs, you test it, you see this works, this doesn't work, we need to tweak this, let's hold off on this, and it takes a while because you want to run through all the different, you know, ways that you're going to use this this product, And it can be frustrating because you spend all this time working on it and building it and writing code for this thing and you you put your heart and your soul into it and you want to make it great and then it sits in the sandbox and everybody's like, well, this is wrong with it and this doesn't work and you're like, great, okay, we're going back to the drawing board. And it's difficult. We had to do that with the app. When we rolled it out, it had to sit in the sandbox and I I put a lot of effort into it and I was ready for that thing to go. I was excited, and yet it had to sit. It had to wait. We had to work on it. Oh, that didn't work. And that made me feel really good. And that's what the, that's what the wilderness is for us, isn't it? It's this time where God sets us aside and he says, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Here's a problem we need to fix. Here's a kink we need to work out. Here's where this doesn't work. Here's where I want this to look a little bit better. Why? So that when it goes out, when it gets released, when it gets set out, it's polished, it's ready to go, all the kinks have been worked out, and it's ready. And that's what the wilderness is. That's what the wilderness is. So if we're ready, if, you're, if you've got Second uh, Corinthians 12, we're going to start with verses 7 and 8. Because we're going to look at Paul's wilderness. Starting with verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul? Conceited? This guy? To keep, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that it should leave me. And this was was Paul who got a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being conceited. We don't think of Paul as as a proud guy. We don't think of him as somebody that would need to be humbled. And yet here he is because of what God had done for him. God put this in his life to say, hold on. We need to put a check on this so that Paul could continue in his ministry. And before we go any further, I want to go back two weeks and just kind of show you how these all link together. Two weeks we were talking about dependence in First Kings 19 where Elijah faced his own afflictions. And for Paul, it was, his, it was his, the potential for pride that brought his afflictions and his need for comfort. For Elijah it was his downtrodden spirit, and we see in, the, in, in in these in these two charts, these two flow charts that the the process was the same right so for Paul, it started with a revelation right that was his high point that was his his shining moment where where the pride set in or could set in. He had this great amazing revelation earlier in chapter twelve, and for Elijah. It was, it was the, the showdown at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal where he defeated the prophets of Baal and Yahweh was, was crowned king and it was this great achievement for Elijah and the, and the prophets of Israel. And then Elijah moved on and uh, he, he prophesied the drought. The drought came and then the drought ended, and so he was, you know, both of these guys had an experience that really put them on top. Then Paul, what happened to Paul is that there was the, the, the option and the, the possibility that pride was going to set in. And so that was, that was the trigger for him. For Elijah, it was the threat from Jezebel that she was just going to get rid of him. The two triggers, pride and Jezebel, What happened to Paul is that he got his affliction. He got his thorn in the flesh. And that was how he was brought low. For Elijah, he became downtrodden. And he went into the wilderness and he said, God, just let me die. I'm done. What is this? He was downtrodden. He was depressed. Through Paul's affliction, he needed comfort. Through Elijah's downtrodden spirit, he needed comfort. For each of our wilderness experiences we go through, we go through these things and they're similar because so many of us go through these and God wants to give us these experiences. And for me, I was preparing this message and it was Thursday and I was sitting reading this book by R.T. Kendall called Thorn in the Flesh and I, I encourage you, it's an amazing book. But God kind of just like sprinkled that on me like, hey, here's your affliction. Here's what you... Are dealing with. Here's the thorn in your flesh. And I, I was like. Uh, uh, I hadn't seen it before. But there it was. And I saw my weakness. And I saw it. And it was this thing that has been with me for a long time. But it just goes to show that. All of us go through this. You know. None of us are, are exempt. And that we have this pattern that we can follow. But what happens and the first point that we want to see, and where I want to start with Paul, is at his affliction, right? That's where we're coming in. And it's the entrance of the affliction. Verses 7 and 8, again, so, ke- so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, right? That's the trigger. That's what sets off. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan harassed me to keep me from being conceited. God wanted Paul to continue in ministry. God wanted Elijah to continue in ministry. God wants you to continue in your ministry. But in order to do that, he's got to put checks. For Paul, he needed to have that hedge against pride. For Elijah, he needed to be raised up. But each of these, each of these men and each of you sitting here, God wants you to continue in that ministry that you have. And so he wants to comfort you to carry you through that wilderness. A lot of people have sought to understand what that thorn in Paul's flesh was. They say, if only we could know. And let's let's pontificate. Let's come up with theories about what could Paul have suffered with. And there's over 50 theories about what Paul was dealing with. But I love Paul's intentional ambiguity. His vagueness. The fact that he doesn't go into specifics. And why is that? Why wouldn't he just give us what he was dealing with? Why do we need to know? People say, if only we could know. Why do we need to know what Paul was dealing with? It was good and wise for Paul not to go into detail because it became an affliction we all could enter into. If he had something specific, one of the theories was that he had uh, really bad eyesight. He had an issue with his eyes because in Galatians, he says that the church would have gouged out their eyes and given them to Paul if they could have real pretty picture there. But that was one of the you know one of the theories. You know, um, so if anybody has anybody any eyes that they want to give me, um, mine aren't working so good. But um, he's intentionally vague. Because if he, got exclu- if he got specific, we could have excluded ourselves. Sexual temptation? That's not something I deal with. I'm fine. You know, I don't have to worry about it. But Paul left it open so that all of us could have our own afflictions, our own thorns in the flesh, our own things that we could walk into and deal with. The point that we need to take away from this is that Paul suffered. He was suffering. He was tormented by this thing. It's the splinter in your nail that you can't get away from until you pluck it out. It just gnaws at you. And we suffer too. That book, uh, A Thorn in the Flesh, R.T. Kendall, he, point, he lays out potential thorns that might afflict us the way that one afflicted Paul. And see if any of these apply to you. It could be a fault, a defect, an imperfection. It could be a friend, a friend, a friend that that kind of grinds in you, and he's there, and he overstays his welcome, and he shows up when you really don't want him around. And he's the friend from college or high school that you have to be friends with. And yet, you know, okay, let's move on. Um, He could be, he could be, or she could be a thorn, a friend. An enemy could be a thorn. Somebody that is, for whatever reason, you don't understand what you did, but they are out to get you and they sabotage you and your happiness. An enemy could be a thorn in your flesh. It could be a handicap or disability. It could be an unhappy employment where you go to your work and your job is just grinds on you. And you clock in on Monday morning. Is it Friday yet? It could be a lack of unemployment. And you're sitting at home and you're wondering why you, don't, why you can't find a job Why you continue to go without. It could be loneliness. It could be unhappy living conditions. It could be sexual misgivings. An unhappy marriage. A chronic illness. A personality problem. It could be money. And it could even be an unwanted calling in ministry. These could all be thorns in your flesh that God has put there for one reason or another. And I think about, we were at a minister's lunch a few months back. And we were in discussion and there was a pastor who said, I pray that God takes me out of my church. I pray that he just closes the door. And that I could get a job in the, in, in, in the workplace. And I could provide for my family again. And I would be great if God took me out of my ministry. What's the thorn in our flesh? What are we struggling with that just pricks at us and keeps us up at night and wakes us up in the middle of the night that we can't shake? And what is God trying to say through that? Because there's more than just the fact that Paul suffered. He didn't take it lying down. He was a good Christian boy. He prayed. In verse 8, Paul Paul prayed three times for his suffering to be taken away. Without an answer until he got this one. And it was one that was difficult to hear. And this is my second point this morning. God's answer to Paul in his prayers that, that his thorn would be taken away. God answers his prayer. He says... My grace is sufficient for you. Come again? Sorry? God, uh, this is Paul here again. I'm sorry, uh, your inbox must have been full. I don't know if you got my last message, uh, but I'm, I'm really dealing with this thorn here, and I'd like to continue in ministry. So if you could just really, you know, I, I heard what you had said, but I, I don't know if that's really what you meant. Lord, um, Please take that from me. Thank you. I praise your name. Amen. No. I want to read verses 9. What happened to Paul. But he said to me, God, what God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In our weakness, God's power is made perfect. God, God, your power could be made perfect in my strength. God, your power can be made perfect in my blessing, in your provision. Yeah? How about that? Does that work? No, my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That was Paul's response. But what happens if we don't necessarily like that answer? What happens if we pray for God to take us, to take away that pain? What happens if we reject that God's grace is sufficient for us? Say, no, no, I don't like that answer. I want door two. I want option two. Uh, I don't want your, you know, that doesn't sound good for me. And we reject it. What happens is that we begin to scorn God's answer. Well, he doesn't love me. If he loved me, he would take away the pain. If he loved me, He would make all this go away. What is God? Who does God think He is? My grace is sufficient for you? That's not the answer I was praying for. When we begin to scorn God's answer, it leaves us in weakness, right? So we we go from rejecting it to scorning it. That leaves us with no other option but weakness because we don't have God's grace. We're stuck in affliction, we're weak. Because we're in the middle of a trial. We've got a thorn digging into our flesh. And we don't like God's answer. So we're weak. And in our weakness, in our inability to get ourselves out of it, the last step is that we become frustrated. And we deal with frustration and futility. What happens next is great. We're frustrated and futile. And so then it goes back up to the top, right? And we go back and ask God, okay, here I am again. Let's let's try this one more time. And we go through this vicious cycle of being frustrated. So then we go to God and say, God, fix this. And then we reject God's answer. We scorn it. We become weak. And then we get frustrated. And we go around and around and around simply because we won't accept that God's grace is sufficient for us. Paul's answer, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's response to God is that he accepts it. He accepts it. He understands. He knows that God's grace is sufficient for him and that his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. What happens? Once he accepts it, he's comforted. He, he understands it. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit. But once he has comfort, he can delight in his suffering. The ESV in verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. The, the NIV says that he delights in it. Oh, Okay, Paul. You know, you doing okay? Delighting in weakness. And what happens is that he boasts and he finds strength in his weakness. But how is God's grace sufficient? Don't take my word for it. Take Paul's word for it. And mostly take God's word for it. When he says that his grace is sufficient for you, what else is there? If God's grace isn't sufficient, what are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Often we say, and there's that saying, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. How about God said it, that settles it. And that's it, and he said it, and it is sufficient for us. How is it sufficient? It opens, up the, it opens God up to put his power on full display in our lives. He gets the glory, and he gets the praise, and he gets to work through us. The grace is not a substitution here. It's a transformation. His grace is not a substitution of what we're going through, but it's a transformation of the way that we look at it, the way that we approach it, the way that where we used to be begging for God to remove it, we cling to it and say, Here I am, here's my weakness. Have a look, world. Look at the way that God provides. Look at the way that God's grace sustains me. Here's my thorn. And we hold it dearly because it's God working through us and manifesting his provision for us in the midst of that affliction. I was reading uh, Charles Spurgeon. He preached on this passage uh, in 1863. Few years ago, and he said this It's because it is the way we spread the gospel. He says, Besides, brethren, how is God's grace to be seen by other men in the world except by our trials? And if you don't, know, if you didn't know when you signed up and you signed your life away to Christ and when you submitted to his authority that this is what you're signing up for, newsflash, this is what you're signing up for. That God's going to use everything in your life including affliction, including suffering, including a wilderness so that he can get glory and that he can use you to demonstrate his love to the world. Going on. Grace is given to keep us from sin which is a great blessing but what is the good of grace except it is in the time when trial comes? Certainly the grace that will not stand in the hour of temptation or affliction is a very spurious sort of grace. And we had better get rid of it if we have it. That's what's called cheap grace. That's what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. When a godly woman's, when a godly woman's child dies the infidel husband sees her faith. When the ship goes down and is lost in sea, the ungodly merchant understands the resignation of his fellow man. When pangs shoot through our body and ghastly death appears in view, people see the patience of the dying Christian. Our infirmities, I love this, I love this. Okay, ready? Here we go. Our infirmities become the black velvet on which the diamond of God's love glitters all the more brightly. I'm going to say that one more time. Our infirmities become the black velvet on which the diamond of God's love glitters all the more brightly. Amen. That's what your affliction is. That's what your wilderness is. That's how God comforts you. He says, yeah, I know you've got infirmities. I know you've got problems and struggles and I see them. But look, I've got this love that I need to shine to the world. And so I'm going to use you and your pain and demonstrate it that way. Are you cool with that? Paul was because he boasts in his weakness. Thank. I'm going to finish this quote. Thank God... Hold on. Thank God I can suffer. Thank God I can be made the object of shame and contempt. For in this way, God should be glorified. Does that change the way you think about things? It should. He finishes, this shall be the wonder of many. It is. Oh boy, it is. When you're going something, when you're going through something, and all the world thinks that you have a right to be upset, and you say, I got God's grace. I'm good. I'm good. That is a wonder to the world. And what is that grace? We could do a whole sermon series on grace. We could go through and we could talk about the, the unending, you know, abounding all-encompassing, merciful, loving grace of God. But like I said before, in this case, grace is not a substitution. It's a transformation. It's his grace so overflowing that even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our wilderness and affliction, that we can delight in it. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And because God's grace is sufficient for us, here's here's my third point. We delight in our weakness and find strength. In verse 10, where he talks about that he's content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of us are dealing with insults or hardships or persecutions or calamities? Some of us might. Are we content in those? Do we delight that God has given us those? For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the Christian paradox. This is the thing that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world that we can go through what we go through, that churches throughout history and around the world can be persecuted, that they can have their property seized, that they can be jailed and locked in jail and arrested and executed and yet still sing praises to God. That doesn't make sense. That makes no earthly sense for people to have that kind of joy after dealing with that. But how beautiful then is God's grace? And how powerful and effective is God's grace that we can go through that? We delight in our weaknesses. There's two stories, two examples I want to share that prove this point. The first is Nick... uh, Mm, I know it. Hold on. Nick Vujicic. Okay. And I'm reading his book. Herb gave me his book. Uh, Nick has a very rare disease. Uh, Some of you might have heard his story before. He was born with no limbs. No limbs. You want to talk about an affliction? I think that's an affliction. You want to talk about a thorn in the flesh? That's a thorn in the flesh. And it's not that he didn't suffer. Because he went through times of darkness. He went through times of depression. As I'm reading this book and looking at his life, where he thought to himself when he was younger and started going to school, how am I ever going to have a girlfriend, right? How am I ever going to have a wife that I can hold? How am I going to hold my kids? How am I going to be able to live he grew up in a Christian house. He was raised as a Christian. But if this, doesn't, if this doesn't challenge your faith, I don't know what does. And he went through dark times. He got to the point where he was ready to give it up. And he was on the verge of committing suicide because he said, what am I going to do? I'm never going to have a normal life. I'm never going to be able to do anything. I'm never going to be able to be like other people. What's the point? Why did God make me this way? He got older and he started to pray uh, really boldly and ambitiously and he God, just give me limbs. Father, I pray that you give me limbs, perform a miracle and and if you give me limbs, I promise I'll go and I'll 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 preach to the world and I'll say, "Look what God did. He gave me limbs and then look at how good God is." And he prayed for that. I don't see any limbs. Is God unloving? Does Does God not care about him? Reading his words in that book, he is one of the happiest guys I have ever come into, into contact with. This guy just bubbles over and he realizes that God, God made him that way and he is, he is created that way because he's been able to travel all around the world and inspire people and encourage people that he wouldn't have been able to do if he was born normal. But he has taken this this, this this affliction and this thorn in his flesh, and he boasts in his weakness. You can go and see his story. This guy surfs. I can't surf. This guy surfs. He's married. He is living life. Because he took something that could have gotten him down, something that could have brought him down. And he allowed God to lift him up through it. And he allowed God to comfort him in that. And bring him to a place where God could use him. And that didn't happen overnight. It took years for him to come to that realization. That God could use me through this. The other I want to share. The other example is, is from a good friend of mine. His name is Asrat. He was here in the the first service, and uh, we were hanging out in my basement um, just the other night, and he was kind of sharing uh, his story, and I, I knew some of it, right? And I knew pieces of it, but he was born in Ethiopia, and his mother died young. Never easy to go through. But he had uh, like five siblings and his dad just couldn't, couldn't provide for all of them. So he spent a good majority of his childhood in an orphanage. Not a good orphanage either. This was a rough place. And he went through life, but he was raised as a Christian. And God sustained him through that. He was able to come to the States. He went to college. He was in pharmacy school and I was working there. And so we got to know each other. And this guy, met. Oh, he loves Jesus. He is he is on fire. Second year in pharmacy school, he gets a message that his dad has passed away. But he can't go home. He can't leave. He has to continue on through school and through classes knowing that his dad, who he was very close with because he didn't have a mother growing up, is gone. He couldn't grieve because he was on the other side of the ocean. And all he wanted was to go home and be with his family and grieve his dad. But he carried on. And man, seeing him in my basement, because he's here finishing his last rotation before he finishes pharmacy school and graduates. And the way that God comforted him and brought him through that. And that way that God's grace was sufficient for him. Man, this, this guy is Amazing. It's possible, it's possible for us to look at our afflictions and boast in them, boast in our weaknesses, be content with what we're going through. Not because God took it away, but because God showed us, I have a purpose in what you're going through. So the worship team is going to come up and I want to close with this challenge. Will you allow God to comfort you? Not through your substitution, not by taking away your pain, but through your transformation. Will you delight in your trials, not because they are easy, but because they bring God glory? Will you allow God's grace to be enough for you? I think about what it would look like for people to to come into this church and to see us struggling, to see us walking through the wilderness, delighting in it. Where we're praising God because of our afflictions. Where we understand that He is enough for us, that His grace is sufficient for us. Because I tell you that people out there, they don't have God's grace right now. What, what are they struggling with? What are they holding on to? They have afflictions, they have pain. And if they come in here and see us suffering the same way that they are with no hope and no grace. I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be ashamed for myself if I'm not going through affliction and yet still have God's grace being enough for us. Not to say, I'm not telling you don't suffer. I'm not saying that it's going to be all roses and unicorns. But what I want us to understand is that when people come in here with their hearts from the world, not knowing Christ, it's going to be his grace through us that communicates the gospel. And that's what they need to see when they step in here. Let's pray for that. Father, it's hard. It's hard to go through the wilderness. It's hard to suffer with afflictions. It's hard to live with that thorn in the flesh that we just beg you to take away from us. But Lord, I pray not for a substitution. If that's what you're calling us to, Lord, sometimes you will take it away and it'll be a miracle and a blessing. And I thank you that you take it away. But God, from your word, there are times when you won't. Lord, there's times where you're gonna ask us To trust you. Where your grace will comfort us in that. Father, I pray for every person that walks through these doors. Lord, that they see your grace through us. And Father, I ask for everybody in the wilderness right now that you comfort them. That you pour your grace and your love upon them. Lord, and if you're calling them to a transformation, that they open their hearts and be willing to let you work and mold them to where they're boasting in their weakness. Father, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about you working through us. God, we don't want the glory. We want you to have the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.